Hey, welcome in Cube Show Podcast, brought to you by our friends at Wickles Pickles. Wickedly delicious, available in your grocery stores, at different restaurants, everywhere. They are wonderful, and it's not just pickles. They've got okra. they got different things that you can check out. Always, we support Wickles Pickles and appreciate them supporting the show. Um, so we mentioned in the offseason, as things get a little bit different, we will still review SEC games as they come and go from bowl season. But also, uh, we'll get into some different things that are happening through the portal, coaching changes, whatever. We had a couple things happen uh, since the last time we've been with you that I want to discuss. But uh, And then we'll hit some other bowl games kind of randomly also. Uh, because what I love to do is celebrate things that have happened, celebrate accomplishments that aren't necessarily the playoffs. Playoffs are great. I love it. And I think the four teams that are in this year deserve it. I think that it's, it's going to be a fantastic uh, couple of games. But there are other things that take place that I just feel need to be celebrated sometimes. So we're going to do that on this show. And we'll do some of that today. Uh, so we got a lot to get to, a lot that I want to talk to you about. And uh, I think it's going to be a good show. I'm excited that you're with us. We'll start with Florida because obviously uh, that's what we do each and every week. We review SEC games and talk about uh, how things went and what happened. Not great for the SEC. Good start out of the gate. Florida goes to six and seven. They lost their last three. Uh, fewest points in a game since the Florida State game in 2015. Just not good. Um, I'll start with this. Uh, I've seen a clip rolling around of 33 on defense, and there are a lot of people that throw out a certain word that, that I'm not going to use. I, I refuse to use. Um, you will never hear me accuse anyone of quitting in a game. Because that is the one thing that I would have never wanted anyone to accuse me of. Um, you know, I, I battled some injuries. I played hurt. Um, but one thing I know I never did was quit in a game. And if somebody would have accused me of that, I think that would have been the worst thing that you could have said about me, in my personal opinion, like for me, for my feelings. So I'm never going to do it. Um, I will call out poor effort in which Princely gave poor effort on that play. Uh, I will, but he also did some other good things in the game. So it's not like... He just went into this game and completely shut it down. And that's kind of why I wanted to bring it up, is that there, there are other plays that look positive. Uh, but there was a problem across the board on the Florida defense that we'll discuss. Um, but the main reason I say that is, like, you, you don't, we don't know what's going on. And this is why we talk about offensive line grades sometimes, certain services that tell you that, oh, they're 96.7% of what? What, what? Is that assignment? I know it's not assignment because you don't know what the assignment was. You don't know what calls were made. You don't know who the center identifies as the Mike linebacker. You don't know what the quarterback's trying to do. You have no clue how certain plays are blocked. If a three technique or a zero nose uh, designates somebody do something different and that doesn't get done on that play, we have no idea. So how we grade assignments, like these, these services that are putting out halftime grades on DBs, on secondaries, like safeties, like what? How? It's impossible. It cannot, it cannot take place. So... Uh, but back to the quitting aspect of things, I, w- I won't do it because I don't know if a kid got kicked in the junk. Um, I don't know if he was throwing up the night before. Um, I, I don't I don't know if his friend passed away. Like, I have no idea what's going on with somebody. So unless you can get in their brain, I'm not going to accuse a kid of quitting. Poor effort, we will call out, and we're going to talk about it today because there was a lot of it from this Florida football team. Um, so we'll start on defense. And... You know, this is an Oregon State team that runs the ball well. We knew that. We talked last time in the last pod about they were probably going to punch Florida in the face. They were at least going to try to. Could they get away with it? Would Florida welcome a fist fight in this game? That was my biggest question, and I don't think they really wanted it. Uh, it didn't look like they welcomed that. It didn't look like they wanted to punch back. There weren't a ton of counter punches that were given. And the, the bad part is, is, you know, 21 makes a play every now and then. Zero makes a play every now and then. I thought 52 did some nice things. 
Um, but you know, like Gravon Dexter makes a play here and there, but it wasn't consistent. It wasn't down after down after down max effort guys flying around playing team defense. It was okay. One guy flashes every four downs and you're not going to play, especially against a team that runs a stretch play like Oregon state does and runs inside zone the way that they do. They don't have to do a whole lot else because they know you're going to get reached or you're going to be out of your gap or you're going to flow too far. There's going to be a cutback lane, or if they're patient, it's going to open up front side. The backer's going to be out of place, and you're going to be able to gain yards. That's basically what they did. Um, now, some of the quarterback runs, I mean, you had a guy who runs, looks like he runs a 5'8", um, go out there and run them around, and then a fullback who probably runs a 5'7", get out there and go wildcat and get positive yards. Uh, it just didn't look good. There's not, there's not a lot of it that was real positive. Um, and we all understand the circumstances, but if you're going to button up and you're going to put the helmet on, put the uniform on, you got to go out there and play. And I didn't think that that group showed a whole lot in that game against Oregon State. Uh, they started out in a bare defense, which is you got a zero nose. You cover up both guards with a defender. And Oregon State is still having some success. They, they sort of dink and dunk their way out of that. Well, once they get out of that, then they go back to inside zone stretch play. And it just it wasn't fit. And we've said this about Florida almost every single week. It's just not fitting the run correctly. So when you're on the zone play, the zone scheme, just imagine things drifting to one side or the other. So drifting to your right or drifting to your left. And the backs, Oregon State's, I mean, Finwick and those guys have good patience. So they understand it's not take the ball and then just run a thousand miles an hour. Let things develop. And then maybe you're going to be able to cut it back, or maybe you're going to go slow, and then boom, you hit north and south. Maybe front side's going to all the way open up, and that defensive end gets reached. It happened a couple of times in this game. Uh, then they'll throw in things like a split zone where the tight end comes flat across the line of scrimmage, the opposite direction that the flow is going, that steals eyes, and then guys are able to get north and south and find the seam. But a couple of things that can't happen. Number one, you can't get reached. When I say you can't get reached, if there's a defender lined up on the outside of me, and we're running the play that direction, inside or outside zone, that defender cannot allow me to get my helmet, my hat, all the way across him and then basically cut him off. So wall him off to the direction that we're running the play. And I understand you guys that are watching this on YouTube, it's a lot easier for you to sort of see what I'm trying to point and designate here. If you're just listening on the podcast, I appreciate it. That's why I'm trying to sort of spell this out for you. So things are flowing to your left. That defender is lined up outside my left shoulder. I get him reached. I wall him off. All of a sudden, that's an immediate lane for the back to be able to run through. Now, he might run into a linebacker, but there's a good chance that linebacker is flowing that direction. And if he cuts fast enough, he's not going to be able to stop, redirect, come back and make the tackle. The other thing that can't happen, if they play that correctly and they're flowing with me and they're sitting there and striking and shedding, you'll see them. They're holding offensive linemen up and then they'll back and forth both ways. And they're doing that. But then that backside is flowing hard with it. Well, nobody has contained backside, and that's what you saw Oregon State cut a few out the back, and that's going to happen. Uh, the other thing is obvious. I mean, this is this is obvious. I'm not telling you guys anything is allowed movement. And there were multiple times on the inside zone play that Oregon State got movement at the point of attack in the middle of the defense, and that can't happen. It can't happen. You had multiple defensive tackles for Florida. They're standing straight up. They're looking around. You take you know, a playing about an extra foot off the ball, looking around before somebody gets there. We know sometimes why that happens. And you get two guys who come off the ball and you know they're trying to play bully ball with you and you're looking around and you're standing up, you're going backwards. And it happened multiple times. Um, add that to not really tackling well, um, a couple of times getting lost in coverage, and it was just a bad day for that Florida defense. On the flip side, yes, no Anthony Richardson, no Osiris Torrance. I thought still with four linemen in there, you'd be okay. Um, 
But there are a couple of things that I'd like to spell out about what I saw in this game from the Florida offense. One, we mentioned stretch play with Oregon State. I didn't think Florida committed to it enough in this game because Montreal Johnson ran the ball hard. I thought ATN ran pretty hard. Now, there wasn't a lot of space for him to go a lot of times, but I mean, two got the ball and he was trying to hurt people. Like you could tell he, he, he was taking things personally. Um, there wasn't a lot of assistance from other blockers in this game. I'm not saying the offensive line dominated. I'm not saying the offensive line played great football. But the other blockers in this game did not show up for Florida. Tight ends, receivers, etc. There were plays that could have gone, could have been successful if the Gators had a little bit more from that group. And they didn't. So you can't just shit on the offensive line and say this is a really bad performance from them and look how bad they are. No Osiris Torrance. Oh, they played so poorly. I didn't really see that as the case. Same thing in protection. Now, were there offensive linemen that got beat? Of course. Yes. Not going to say it was perfect. I'm not even going to say it was B plus or even B minus probably. But it was probably better than what you thought when you were watching the game. Because what I saw in protection, even though, yeah, a couple of times guys just lost their one-on-ones and got beat, um, was not being in the right protection. And some of that looked like a check. Now, I don't know what Jack Miller was able to do, was told to do, how much he could handle on his own, but there's one play specifically where Oregon State is lined up with five defenders on the line of scrimmage. I can't recall if it was two defensive linemen, three defensive linemen, and then other backers are all walked up, but there's, there's five guys at the line of scrimmage. Florida motions into empty, so back goes out. Now you're five wide. Quarterback, five offensive linemen. Well, I got five defenders and five linemen. I feel like we can handle that. We got it. Now, what you do when you can't handle something is you'll slide protect. So you'll hear me talk about gap protection, slide protection. Everybody just takes one step to the right, one step to the left. And when you slide protect, somebody has to wall off the opposite side and pick up all the junk that could potentially come from there because us as a group are going that way. Specifically, our eyes are going that way. Because if there's, a, if there's a gap defender between the center and the right guard, yes, we're going that direction, and the guard doesn't have anybody over him, his eyes will go there, but he needs to stand post, and he needs to help with that defender in the gap. His eyes are sliding, though, and yes, he can come off that block and help if anything comes through. If there's a looper, if there's a linebacker that comes late, a safety comes late, he's there, and he, he has that gap. The protection is slid. The defender on the outside opposite of the way that the protection was slid, runs free and hits Jack Miller. Like, I can't, that can't happen. And there were multiple instances in which protections were just missed, pressures were missed, guys going the wrong place, backs not really knowing where to go, tight ends not necessarily being in the right spot, offensive linemen getting beat occasionally, and then things like that where they're either wasting offensive linemen to try to pick up things that weren't coming, or trying to ask the offensive line to do something that's just not going to pick up what's there and what's being brought. That was a big problem. Um, so I think Jack Miller had a couple of drops. That didn't help him and didn't have a lot of play action help because the run game didn't necessarily get going. So I didn't think he played great, but I didn't think a lot of it was on him. Team just looked flat. And when you have guys that are in the portal and playing, and listen, this is not just a Florida problem. I'm not going to sit here and tell you Florida's the only team. I mean, there's a kid, Trayshawn Chamberlain, the game that I did yesterday, Rice and Southern Miss, who's in the portal and played and made tackles and made plays. Like, that's the, sort of the new norm. Some coaches might say, no, we're never going to do it. 
but it's going to happen at certain places. So um, bad look for Florida, not a great start for the SEC, but I, I mean, you had effort issues. Yes. You had assignment issues. Yes. Um, execution issues. Absolutely. And you went and played a, a, a football team that plays fundamentally sound and they play their ass off. They play hard. They're a hard nosed team. And you had to show up and counter that. And that's what I didn't think Florida did. First 10 win season since 2006 for Oregon State. These are some of the things I want to talk about that we're going to celebrate. First ever win against an SEC team. First time in school history that that team has knocked off another team from the Southeastern Conference. That's impressive, man. It's great. 10 and 3 for Oregon State. They get a big bowl win out in the Las Vegas Bowl. Good for them. All right. So. Let's talk about a couple of other bowls. First off, something that happened for the NCAA. Uh, probably should have gotten this before we went into Florida and Oregon State in the Las Vegas Bowl. NCAA throws out a blanket waiver for this season, saying that if you participate in a postseason game this season, it's not going to count against your eligibility. Uh, the NCAA issued a one-time blanket waiver in FBS football to exempt postseason participation from the limit of four contests a student-athlete may participate in without using a season of competition. Blanket waiver applicable to FBS postseason games that occur after December 15th, 2022. Here's the hilarious part of this. This thing goes out late the night before UAB and Miami of Ohio play a 10 a.m. game in the Bahamas Bowl. So I don't know how... Chuck Martin and Brian Vincent were able to even manage this and try to utilize this. Um, good for the NCAA for trying to do the right thing. Make this a permanent rule. There's no reason with the way guys are hitting the portal and the way guys are bailing on rosters because we had to have this early signing day. And to me, that is a major portion of the genesis that forms all these other issues for another podcast for another day. Let the guys that have played four games participate here and it doesn't affect their eligibility because you do have the extra weeks to prepare to get them ready to play. So it makes sense. This should be, I think this will be the rule going forward. I don't think they're going to have much of a choice because guys, just position groups are going to get hammered. You're not going to have guys that can go out there and participate and play or guys who can help you in practice. And you're just not going to be able to prepare the way you need to. One thing that we're figuring out is that teams that show up and play defense, play hard, defensively, and we've seen it in a couple of games, are going to have a massive advantage in these bowl games. So I want to, I'm going to go through a couple that we had over the weekend and just talk about the teams and, again, celebrate some of the things that happened, some of the positive things that are going on in college football outside making the playoff. All right, the um, Duluth Trading Cure Bowl. Troy, 18-17, they get the win over UTSA. Um, this Troy football team, man, is incredible. Um, John's done an awesome job of just figuring out ways to win games. Uh, they're 12-2, 12 wins. That's the most they've ever had as an FBS football team, ever. Uh, they've won 11 straight. That's the most since 1995. Only Georgia and Michigan have longer active win streaks. Carlton Marshall, 570 career tackles, linebacker for Troy. He's the all-time NCAA leader in tackles. Just an incredible career. Um, six wins after trailing at the half for this Troy football team. And they just have different guys that know how to go out and do different things. Like Gunnar Watson has won him a couple of games. He turned it over a few times in this game. Kamani Vidal only goes for 72 yards. But they figure out just what they need to do, what adjustments need to be made, how they need to operate to go out and win a football game. Troy was outgained 345 to 153 in this game. And they won the game. And... 
you had five turnovers if you're UTSA, and you had nine flags. It was a killer, and it cost you the game. But Troy wins the Sun Belt, gets the 12 wins, wins their bowl game. John Summerall, just a fantastic year one. Unbelievable. But if there's a play that I clipped that if you can go find it on my Twitter, at Cole Kublik, and take a look at it. After a Troy interception, where these defenders turn into heat-seeking missiles that want to go find blocks. And 31, Del Pettis, six foot 200, runs past the defender with a football, literally seeking out another human being to try to inflict harm upon. An offensive line comes over in front of it and tries to go low on him. Probably has 100 pounds on him. And Del Pettis goes down just to go shoulder to shoulder with that offensive lineman to try and throw a block. After another defensive lineman had Peter rolled an offensive lineman coming over to try to make the play. Knocked him on his ass. That, to me, right there, encompasses what Troy was this year. A bunch of dudes that played for each other, that bought in early. And John Summerall told me this. He said, we had a couple of guys on defense. Carlton Marshall was one that basically came to us when we first got the job and said, coach, tell us what to do. Tell us how to do it. And we'll help you. We'll help you figure this whole thing out. And that's just kind of what they are and what they've been. And when you have older guys that understand how to go out and handle themselves and do things the right way, and they self-police to a certain extent, they buy into what you're asking them to do, and they play for each other and play. You know, Richard Juniper is another one that, that was the same way, that he said did the same kind of stuff. That's what happened with this team. It was impressive to see, impressive win, um, happy for John, happy for that program. Um, but before that, earlier in the day, as we were talking about, UAB goes out and they knock off Miami of Ohio. And you just kind of wonder that Dwayne McBride decides late Thursday night he's not going to go. What's going to happen? How's that going to play out? Uh, but UAB goes out, gets a stop, kind of similar to the Oilers in Atlanta. You know, McNair over the middle, tackle on the one-yard line, whatever it was. Back-to-back bull wins for the first time ever for this UAB program. Now, this is a group that knew they were on their way out. Uh, Trent Dilfer's coming in as a head coach, but I thought Brian Vincent and that staff did a really nice job getting this team ready. They played hard. You could tell they wanted to win this game. Jermaine Brown goes for 116 yards. Trey Shopshire caught a couple deep balls. You know, he's been a big play threat for UAB the last couple of years, and they get a big win. Uh, they, they're going to finish with a winning record. They're going to finish with back-to-back bowl wins for the first time in the history of the program. Just a, a nice way to finish the season. And for you folks that say bowls don't matter, things like this are what you're going to be able to look back on and tell your kids about 15, 20 years from now and be proud of and be happy about that you went out and you did. So we'll go to Saturday. Uh, Louisville smashes Cincinnati. Um, Louisville's defense in, continues to be impressive. Sacks, turnovers, just unreal. 24-7, they take out Cincinnati in a really weird game that just Cincinnati never got anything going. Uh, one that I was really excited to see uh, not because McElroy was on the call. Uh, the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl presented by Stifle. Um, Man, I tell you what, Jay Kaner, 280 yards, two touchdowns. He's 8-2 and two as a starter this year. And his only two losses came to Oregon State and USC. What a career for Jay Kaner. If you don't know who he is, pay attention to him. He's going to be probably fourth, fifth quarterback off the board in this upcoming draft. But there will be a point in time when he becomes an NFL starter and he's going to be successful. It doesn't mean he's Aaron Rodgers. It doesn't mean he's Tom Brady. It doesn't mean he's Dan Marino. 
It doesn't mean he's Ben Roethlisberger, but he's going to have success because the kid's a gamer. He's tough. He understands the offense and how to manage things. He's got good mobility. He can make every throw. I promise you, one day down the road, something will happen. Jay Kaner will become the starter for an NFL team, and he will do well. Um, and kid had an amazing career. Back-to-back 10-win season, season for the third time in the history of Fresno State football. So they won 10 last year. They won 10 this year. They get a bowl win. This is a football team that started 1-4. 1-4. When a lot of times people will begin to look at those games and say, these don't matter anymore. They can't win their division, can't win their conference. They did go out and win the Mountain West. Then they come back and win their bowl game. And that's with Hayner getting beat up in the middle of the season. And now they go out back-to-back 10-win seasons, back-to-back bowl wins. As a matter of fact, I think they've lost, they've won six straight bowls. And Jordan Mims goes for 202 yards on the ground. Nine straight wins this season. They finished 10-4. and four. Just a heck of a performance for Fresno State. Playing bully ball again. That's what they do. Like, there are a bunch of kids on that football team that are going to grow up and be bouncers at a club one day because that's kind of how they operate. Like, they are not afraid to throw you out of the way and they're not afraid to get into a fist fight. Like, that's just what Fresno State is. And led by Jay Kaner, who epitomizes that toughness. It was a really nice win. Um, I was on the Lending Tree Bowl, Rice and Southern Miss. Um, Mike Bloomer's doing a nice job with this Rice program. It's a tough deal, it's a tough place. They finished five and eight. They were in with APR, obviously a five-win football team. And I thought they were dead. 17-3 at the half. I thought they were done. Like, no way this team's going to be able to come back. AJ Padgett, freshman quarterback's going. They get Luke McCaffrey back at receiver. He makes a couple of plays. Bradley Rosner makes a couple of plays. Isaiah Esdale makes a couple of plays out at wide receiver. Uh, they got a little bit of run game going in the second half. Austin Armstrong's group got a little aggressive. Um, but then all of a sudden, Will just looked in there and said, give it to Frank Gore Jr. and let's just ride. And they slammed the door on Rice and they get to seven and six. So a couple of reasons that's important. Frank Gore Jr., 329 yards, most rushing yards in a bowl game ever in the history of FBS. Most ever. Unbelievable performance. He was dynamic. And by the way, he threw a touchdown. And back when they didn't have a quarterback a couple of years ago, he played quarterback and they just went wildcat and he flipped it around a few times. He played quarterback in high school some. Uh, but man, he was unbelievable yesterday. And now this is a Southern Miss team that went three and nine last year. They lost eight straight at one point last year. First winning season since 2019. First bowl win since 2016. Will Hall's done an excellent job with this program. And they got a lot of guys coming back and they're doing it the right way. They're taking some of those kids under the radar in Mississippi. They're taking some kids that don't feel welcome and they're bringing them in as transfers and they're getting them to play hard. They're finding ways to let them make plays. And I think they're building this thing. And I just watch out for Southern Miss next year. Because if they get quarterback situated, they're going to be rolling. Uh, a couple of guys that I want to point out to you, though, if you get a chance to go back and watch that game or you watch certain guys in the future, Natron Brooks, zero for Southern Miss. Son, I love watching you play football. This young man is 5'11", 176, playing corner. And watching film prepping for this game, someone put his body on the line no less than four or five times a game. I'm not sure the kids should be breathing right now. Coming up, taking on offensive linemen, fullbacks, running backs, whatever. Tyler Knight, former Ole Miss player, had a great game. Jay Stanley, another one, safety, who comes up and is not afraid to pop anybody on the field. Uh, Dalen Gill, another Ole Miss transfer, their best blitzer, according to Austin Armstrong. He had a couple of sacks last night. He was out of control. Eric Scott uh, from Butler Community College, 
played great at corner last night, made a couple of huge plays. This is now one of six defenses in college football that has over 40 sacks. They're top 10 in interceptions, tackle for losses, and sacks on the season. Austin Armstrong doing an amazing job with this team. Frank Gore was great. The big right side of that offensive line. Tykeem Doss, 373. John Bolding, 329. In the center, another Ole Miss transfer. Bryce Ramsey, they did an excellent job last night getting the run game going. Jason Brownlee, you'll see him drafted probably. I talked to Mel Kuyper Saturday morning. Um, he said late second, early third for Brownlee, 6'3", 202. Big-time player. Didn't Ran triple option in high school, so didn't get a lot of opportunities. He'll play in the NFL. But they got a young core of receivers. Most of the offensive line is going to be back. They're going to get quarterback fixed. The defense is ready to go. And just a nice bowl win for Southern Miss. Um, and they were, you saw the – they were so pumped. Like the sidelines going crazy. Gore's going nuts. His dad's there. His, his auntie was there. He's talking to her after the game. Going to show you a little bit more about how just bowl games do have meaning. Uh, BYU knocks off SMU 24-23. Not sure about the two-point conversion call by letting Mordecai run the ball, but he did a nice job getting him back in position to even have a chance late in that game. Um, BYU gets to 10-4. and Another 10-win season for BYU. So Kalani Sataki... With a beat up Jaron Hall this year and not everything going their way, uh, they do a really nice job down the stretch. And you know, I think BYU won their last three, so give them credit for finding a way to finish strong after having a little losing streak there in the middle of the year. And they get a win over a high powered SMU football team. Um, I was impressed with what they did yesterday. And then for Boise State, they knock off North Texas thirty five thirty two in the Frisco Bowl. Uh, Boise. 18 10-win seasons since 1996. Only Alabama and Ohio State have more, 19 and 21 for those two teams. 318 rush yards. They found that run game around the middle of the season. They've just been playing bully ball ever since. 7-3 and three in their last 10 bowl games. So Boise just knows how to act in the postseason. Like They've got it figured out. They know what to do, how to do it. Really impressive. And they go out there and get a bowl win and look pretty good doing it. So it was a lot of fun. We've got more bowl games coming up this week. We got bowls every day this week. So it's going to be cool to be able to see some of them middle of the day. Um, you know, Marshall, UConn, watch this little fullback. I think he's number 20 for UConn. Uh, kids fun. Marshall runs inside zone, split zone, as well as anybody in college football. That game's actually probably going to be more fun than you think. Eastern Michigan, Samson will be running inside zone for those dudes. Like they play a tough physical brand of ball. They're going up against San Jose State on Tuesday. Liberty Toledo, Jason Candle's team goes and wins the MAC. Now you have Freeze leaving Liberty. Don't know exactly what they're going to look like. That'll be fun. That'll be a shootout. It'll be fun to watch. Western Kentucky, South Alabama Wednesday. RNL Carriers, New Orleans Bowl. It's a South Alabama team. It's got great quarterback play. Ladarius Webb gets in there at tailback. He has a big year. They play great defense. Western Kentucky gets Austin Reed out of the portal and their best pass rusher out of the portal. Both going to stay. That one could be fun. Baylor Air Force on Thursday. And then Friday, you get Louisiana, Houston, Wake Forest, Missouri um, in the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl and the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl. So we got bowls every day this week. They even go Saturday. The SEC games that we have not previewed, we're going to give you an early pod later this week that will come out before Sunday because Sunday, Christmas Day. And then we'll, on that pod, we'll go back through a couple of other bowls that have happened. And then we'll preview the rest of the SEC bowls that are coming up. Um, so I'm excited. I got the Alamo Bowl on TV. I got the Sugar Bowl for radio. So I'll see Bama K-State. Pumped to be able to go see those. Um, a lot still happening in the transfer portal. Uh, you know, some quick news and notes. Hugh Freeze makes some hires with his staff. 
Um, you know, he gets Ron Roberts as a defensive coordinator. It's not a massive name, but Ron can coach defense. He does a good job. Um, then he goes and gets Philip Montgomery as his OC. If you watch Tulsa's offense the last few years, they move the football. I think he can call plays. I think he's a good play caller. And you add head coaching experience to your staff, which I think is great. Um, I personally don't know how those guys will recruit the Southeastern Conference, but I know he's getting good ball coaches. He's got some other guys that can recruit. Christian Robinson not going to stay on that staff. Kind of bummed to see that. I thought he did a great job with the linebackers. Uh, and he was a young up-and-coming star in the industry. Uh, Travis Williams, former Auburn linebacker, going to go be the D.C. for Sam Pittman at Arkansas. Young, energetic, fun. Kids love him. They play their rear ends off for this young man. So, Arkansas, you're getting a good defensive coordinator, but you're getting a great human, and you're getting a lot of energy, and you're getting somebody who does things in a little bit of a different way, relates well to the players. They just, they will play hard for him. And based on losing Barry Odom, replacing him with Travis Williams, it's going to be different. But I think the, I think the risk definitely – um, is worth it when you're talking about the reward that you could potentially get with Travis Williams. Um, so we'll go back, talk portal next time. I'm not going to get into all the kids. We had actual football that we wanted to talk about that we wanted to get into. Uh, wanted to talk about this, this blanket waiver that the NCAA threw out. Finally, uh, Michigan wins the Joe Moore award. Uh, we announced that yesterday. Um, I am the chairman of the voting committee. Uh, we switched it up last year. I do now vote. I have one vote. There's over 150 voters that vote. Uh, there's a very small handful that did not coach or play offensive line that vote for this award. I'm just going to kind of state it like this. It's the first time we've had a back-to-back winner. Michigan wins it. It's the first time we've only had two finalists. That should tell you a lot about what Georgia and what Michigan did. Okay. Now, Michigan wins the award. I think if you looked at this and you just kind of put it on a scale and weighed it back and forth, my opinion in what you would have is you would have a team in Michigan that if you are into perfect technique, fundamentals, hat placement, steps, hand placement, um, understanding assignments, things of that nature, like Michigan was your group. If you're a little bit more like me and what I appreciate and you like the old gladiator style of playing offensive line and just kicking the shit out of people and playing bully ball and seeing guys 20, 30 yards downfield trying to clean up and finish blocks and tracking the football and you see – tackles on screens, taking people off the sidelines, like escorting them to the bench, like what I'm into a little bit more of, then that was your flavor. So you really had chocolate and vanilla with two great offensive lines. Either one could have won. It was the closest, one of the closest votes that we've had. Only five votes separated the difference between Michigan knocking off Georgia. Georgia has nothing to be ashamed of. That group had an amazing season. They played great football. And even after a little bit of a slow start, really kind of got into a groove around the middle of the season and got ramped up. And we're dominant at times down the stretch. Michigan was a little more consistent throughout the course of the entire season. But some people saw it one way. Some people saw it another way. Um, having two finalists, I think, told the story of both those teams were very capable of winning it. Taking nothing away from Michigan, go. That group deserved it. That group played great football. That group was dominant when they needed to. Must have moments for that group. Really impressive. Really good. So we'll be back next week. Thanks to our sponsor, Wickles Pickles, Wickedly Delicious. Go get yours in your grocery store. Thanks for tuning in. Go subscribe. I think we have like 110 subscribers now on YouTube. We're really killing it. Please subscribe to the podcast as well. I'm sure there's like 11 people subscribed to that. Probably my wife, my mom, and my dad are three of the 11. So maybe we can get to 15 there. But we're going to keep talking football. We're going to give you football, college football content on Sundays throughout the offseason. We will find things to talk about, people to talk to, whatever it is. Bowl season is going to be fun. we got great games coming up, playoff and all that. 
portal, coaches, everything. Every Sunday, we bring you Cube Show. Thanks for tuning in. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.